Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Well, it's a pleasure to have Colin Pierce with us today to minister uh, the word. For those that don't know Colin, he's a teacher, he's an author, he's a TV performer and producer, he's a ventriloquist, a uh, songwriter, and it, the list goes on and on. Uh, he's also lectured uh, at Table Bible College, and a few of us had the great uh, privilege of having Colin as our lecturer in platform ministry. He's an international speaker, speaks all around the world, uh, spoken in over 15 countries, including the US, uh, of course, Australia, and New Zealand. He's been married to Christine for 45 years, 48 years. Uh, come on, give them a round of applause. That's Christine, that is. Uh, give Christine a round of applause. <laughs> they have four children. Is it five or seven grandchildren? Seven any day, grandchildren. Um, I know that today, as Colin shares, uh, you're going to laugh. You're definitely going to laugh. You may even cry. Um, but more than that, you're going to be inspired, challenged. And whatever the message he's going to share today, you're not going to forget it. Uh, because he's a powerful communicator of truth. And so put your seatbelts on and uh, let's give Colin a mighty warm welcome as he comes to share the powerful word of God with us this morning. Amen. Please don't use that introduction and don't pray that threatening prayer before I get up. I am that nervous. My hands are sweaty, my tongue's dry, so if you see me licking my hands, you know I'm trying to get a bit of moisture going. Oh, that's an awesome responsibility to follow both of those things, and I hope I live up to the occasion in one way or another. Thank you for your loving care and support, and at the moment, ardent attention. I hope you keep it up. I know that over the last six months, there have been people who've joined the church from other denominations who've closed down. At last, and uh, there are people online who have come from other denominations, and so I thought I would just make you feel welcome by reading the Bible in your way. Have I ever read the Bible in the way of the denominations before here? I haven't. Well, let's take something simple like Mark's Gospel and let's read it the way of, oh, I don't know, the Anglicans, shall we? Any Anglicans here or would any wannabes or has beens? Oh, good. I see you. At the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's from Mark chapter 1. Let's continue with Mark chapter 1 and uh, let's do it the Catholic way. Um, Page 824. Hmm. Uh, how about the uh, Baptist way? The big Mark chapter 1. The, b- b- the big, 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 the big start of the g- gos- gos- gospels. Oh, how about the Church of Christ way? Are you ready? Mm. Oh, the Salvation Army. There might be some Salvation Army people here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning. Ow, that hurts. 
You don't get out much, do you? But those who... She's been. She's been. She's laughing. Must have that in Spain. And, uh, of course... Oh, the Pentecostal way. Could I borrow your Bible, please? You need a rubber Bible for the Pentecostal way. The beginning of a Jesus Christ, a gospel. I've never read it, but it's in here somewhere. How's that? Rubber Bible? That's a lovely rubber Bible. I was doing that at a opening of a bookstore, Christian bookstore in Albury, and the women from the Seventh-day Adventist school were there, and the lady in the front row said, do us, do us, do us. I said, do us. She's the SDAs. I said, okay. Um, nah. This is a new Bible. I don't want to tear the New Testament out of it just for this. I'm glad you're here. You get it. You get it. You're a good boy. And of course, the Bible is absolutely important. Who's got a Bible? Hands up, nice and high, be proud, shame, tell the truth and shame the devil. You've got a Bible? Oh, you've got a big one with a zip on it. Hold all your notes and tissues in it, at a girl. Who's read it? You read your Bible? Hands up if you read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Nice and high. Who has read the Bible from cover to cover? No, 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 tell the truth. You've started at Genesis and you worked all the way through to the last word in Revelation. Hand up, nice and high. Think about it. We'll ask you again. Who's read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one go? Not in one sitting. It takes you about a year. You have? Well, you're very adamant. You've done How many times have you? Who's done it twice? Three times. You, is that Five. That lady is saying, but I didn't know what she said. That's okay. (laughs) That's fantastic because I go to some places and I can't get a hand raised. I heard Jay Cannon J. John from the Church of England ask this question and about two people put up their hands in a congregation of about 1,500. And if you've seen Cannon J. John, he's a quaint little man. Uh, He says, what is that? Oh, that hurt too. (laughs) What is that? It's the Bible. It's a book about God. And you say you love God and you love his son, but you don't read the book. What is that? So today I want to challenge you this year to get the 365-day app or just start at the beginning and read five chapters a day, get in your Bible, open it up, count the pages, divide by 365, and that's your page quota for the day. And you'll sort of get... Look, I've got to be honest, this is my tenth... Or, somebody get the phone, please. Uh, this is about my tenth go-through, and use a different version each time. I don't want to put it down. I believe the Message Bible is good in the New Testament for me, but it's as boring as old sheep cloth... In the Old Testament, I think he lost the plot, but I try to read it in a different version, and it's an amazing thing. You get a complete picture of who God is, what he's about, and it's usually nothing like what you thought when you grew up. So the Bible is important to us, and I would like this year to get a sense of reading. There is a bunch of dodgy convictions, so I'm going to talk about dodgy convictions, doubtful conclusions, and direct commands. Is that okay? That just... 
an indication that you can feel as though I did think about what I was going to say. Whether or not I carry through on my thoughts is another matter, as you well may guess. Dodgy convictions. People don't always read the Bible thoroughly. In 1 Corinthians 11.2, we start with some funny things that people think. Where is that? 1 Corinthians 11.2. Oh, there. Okay. 1 Corinthians 11.2. I got it. Stop looking, I found it. When I grew up, women had to come to church in hats. I went to a little church near me and there were four people at it. I met them outside and I said to the bloke wearing a tie and a suit and shiny shoes, oh, what is this church? And he said, oh, it's people who love God. I said, good. And um, then I noticed there were two women and they both had little pillbox hats on their head. This is only two years ago. And I said, what is this church? And I gathered from my experience, I said, you must have some relationship with the exclusive brethren. And he said, oh, once upon a time. I said, I see. He said, how did you know? I said, oh, it was the bonnet and the tie. And he said, well... I said, yeah, well, I just wanted to know because I'd like to come one day, but I don't know whether I could do the whole tie and my wife definitely wouldn't do the bonnet. The daughter, I assume she was the daughter because there were only four and it was a family, immediately snapped at me, it's in the Bible. And I said, this would be good. What's in the Bible? She said, women should wear hats in church. And then she spouted 1 Corinthians 11.2. For a man to pray or prophesy with his head covered is a sign of disrespect to his head. For a woman, however, it is a sign of disrespect to her head if she prays or prophesies unveiled. There you are. It's living proof. From one half a sentence among several hundred thousand sentences that women should wear a hat to church. Not a hat or a bonnet in sight. Aren't you teaching the word of God? Well, you see, people do get some dodgy convictions from little bits of the Bible because they don't get the whole picture. The Bible says, by their fruits, by your fruits shall they know you, not by your hats. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? By your hats shall they know you. Well, I've travelled the world and seen some funny sights. I saw some Mennonite women in Chicago, and they had their, all had their hair in a French roll. You know what that is? Women would tell you it's, you know, like a plait rolled up and bunched at the back. They all had a French roll, and being a little cheeky, knowing that they don't braid themselves in beauty and glory, I said, I see you girls all go to the same hairdresser. And sucked in, one of them said, we don't go to the hairdresser. I said, oh, never guess. People go to all sorts of extremes. The Amish women wear a special bonnet. The Mennonite women wear another special bonnet. Little, that's got to be a see-through bonnet. It's a, sort of a lace bonnet, but it's stiffened with starch or something. I don't know, pig fat, whatever. And it sits on top of your head, outside your bun. And then there are other whole sectarian groupings of people who wear the full-on head cover, all just based out of half a sentence, which might have been relevant to the people at the time, not us. I remember we had to go to a... Remember that Brethren Church we went to in Sydney? And we were with close friends. And the women only had their little short beach dresses to wear because we weren't going to visit anywhere. We had gone camping. And so... What's her name? My best friend, Glenda, yes. Um, 
she and Christine had their little tiny short beach dresses, but to go to church, they had to wear a scarf because it was at a brethren church. And although they were nearly naked from the waist down with this tiny little beach skirt, at least they were holy because they had a tiny little three-quarter hanky on their head. Uh, People do get the daftest ideas about what it is to be a Christian, don't they? It's all about externals and not about internals. And I'm, I'm so glad that you can come to this church and feel welcome. You used to work in hardware, I know. And, and once upon a time, you could walk into a hardware store and get a pair of secateurs off the shelf and take them to the counter and buy them. Now, you buy them in a plastic tomb. And you actually need the secateurs from inside the packet to open the secateur packet. They actually glue the araldite packets with araldite so you can't get in. You know what? That's something like the modern church. If only you could get in, it'd be fantastic. But it seems glued shut. We've gone to some churches and felt like total strangers. Remember we went to one in Ohio on Christmas Eve. There were 5,000 people there. And nobody said hello, boo, or anything. We decided at the end to walk around every pew in the church to see if somebody would say hello. There were a family of six of us. I reckon we looked like good prospects. We probably had money. Um, Maybe we didn't because we had four kids. But anyway, we looked like we could could build the coffers of the church. We worked up and down, and out of the 5,000 people, not one person said hello. They didn't even look at us. Maybe they could tell we were Australians and we were grubby little people or something. I don't know. Maybe the, four ki- the twins scared them off. I've no idea. You know, you can do that in Adelaide. You can walk into a church and people might go, hmm. hmm. Go out of your way to smile at, shake hands with, or you know, elbows, whatever you do, and say hello to people and say, I'm glad you came. Have you been here before? Yes, I've been coming here for 16 years. Oh, sorry. Can't know everybody. Be, be open and welcoming and don't lock people out because they don't wear a hat or they do wear a hat or they've got the wrong shoes or they don't wear a tie or they wear a suit even though it's hot. <laughs> when I was growing up with some dodgy con- convictions about the Lord's Day. I don't know whether you still have those. It's a bit of a funny feeling when we go to Easter camp. We weren't allowed to kick the footy on Sunday because it was the Lord's Day and kicking the footy wasn't a holy activity. Don't know how you could make it one, but you weren't allowed to... Oh, that was mostly based on soccer, I think, because that's a dreadful game. And that's definitely not holy. You wouldn't do that on Sunday, I understand. Yeah, this came into being over centuries, the sanctity of the Lord's Day, and we get hung up on these things, little traditions that people get from here and there. Traditions are strange in every religion, and they usually come from some tribal mentality. I saw a nasty clip at the end of a stoning of a young woman who had been caught in adultery in Iraq. It was in, excuse me, it was in Iraq in the countryside. And 10 or 11 men had gathered together and stoned this woman for her disgraceful behaviour. And at the end of the event, when she was well and truly dead, an old bloke stepped up and pulled her skirt down over her knees because it was improper to see her legs. Okay to stone her, but not okay to see her knees. How tribal and dopey and local is that? 
and that was in Islam, but there are just as many weird things in Christianity if you follow through and look around. Be careful that you don't get caught up in funny local traditions. Anyway, time goes on and I went to go and tell you about something uh, a scientist said to God. He said, uh, God, we don't need you anymore. It's clear that science has advanced so far. We can now make people in test tubes. We make people in the laboratory. It's that easy. And the Lord said, okay, show me. So the man bent down and he started to scrape together some clay and dirt. And God said, get your own dirt. (laughs) I think it's funny. Maybe the microphone isn't working. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, get your own dirt. (laughs) See, God made man from the clay in the ground. (sighs) It's in the Bible. There was a sad case old rabbi that was pretty jaded with life in general and he was running a marital class and he said... uh, he was going through Genesis. And he said, And God he comes to the man in the cool of the evening and he says, How is things, Adam? Adam says, oh, Come see, come see. And God said, What have you been doing? And Adam said, oh, I called that thing a giraffe. Watch this. I called that thing a hippopotamus. You're there? She asked me to be kind to her. Uh, and God said, that's good. And, and Adam, he says, I'm a little bit lonely. I got nobody. And God said, should I make you a companion? Yeah, make me a companion, says Adam. And so God says, well, we could take uh, something beautiful. She obey everything you say. She do as she told she cook for you, she make you handsome, she give you a lot of children, no complaint. Hey, hey, says to Adam. How much? God says, God says, we need the one arm, one leg, one eye. Adam says, ooh. Hey, hey, that's a lot. What can you do for me for a rib? <laughs> ah, thank you. You like that one. Hey, look at Proverbs 31. And those of you who are on streaming, you might need to tune in again at 12, even though it's not on, because uh, I could still be here. In Proverbs 31, we take more of what that old rabbi had to say because he went on to talk about the perfect woman in Proverbs 31. Now here is where I step on landmines and eggshells and probably never get invited back again and there will be a bigger revolt than there was at the American Citadel this week. (laughs) Proverbs 31 is usually not 
looked at very much, particularly in these days of uh, women's liberation and feminism and equal rights, because it looks very, mm, it looks very prescriptive of how women should be uh, kept barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen, and that there is no dignity in this chapter for women. I would like to contradict that stupid view and read it to you. It's on the screen now. Let me read it to you. A wife of noble character. Who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She, sets up, she gets up while it is still night and she provides food for her family and portions her female servants. She sees that her trading is... Oh, I see. You've got the next verse in red. I get it right. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp doesn't go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. I said that. She opens her hands, arms to the poor, and extends... Good thing I'm not colourblind because I wouldn't be able to read the red. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear of her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband respects, respected at the city gate, where he takes the seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. How many women do noble things but you surpass them all. Ah, We could go on but... That's near the end of the chapter. And some of you are saying, right, get the bricks, get the faggots and set the fire. He's going. This is the last time he's coming here. Put us women down like that. Now, not of you, a lot of you aren't like that, of course, because you do get up at dawn and beat your flax and make your clothes and give sashes to the poor and whatever. And I know that's probably very likely. But let me let you off the hook for a second. I don't think it's about one lady. I think it's lots of ladies. Let me interpret it again for you. I don't have the word of the Lord on this, but it's just as likely. Oh, by the way, a disclaimer. This is a beautiful poem of an ideal spirit, a servant heart. It's applicable to men as well as women. A servant heart, a diligent heart, a conscientious attitude to family and to life and to faithfulness. So read it with that in mind, if it's only one woman, it's also only one bloke. It's a beautiful passage, a lovely poem. And by the way, each verse begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So let me take you through the letter Aleph, Beth, Gilead, uh, Gimel, then we come to Daleth, it begins. She is always busy with wool and with flax. This is Diana. She's a wool classer at Michelle's, busy with wool and flax, and she does her work with eager hands. 
She may well be a fabric consultant at David Jones or at Spotlight. She's busy with cloth. That's a good trade and a good profession, and she does it well and conscientiously. So let's leave Diana at Spotlight and see what Heather's up to. H. Or he. She's like a merchant vessel, bringing her food from far away. It doesn't mean she looks like the back of the Queen Mary when she's walking down the street. It means maybe she's a truck driver. A merchant vessel bringing her food from far away. A truck driver for Woolies who brings the food around to the shops or comes from Melbourne or Sydney across on a road train. Wilma. War. She sets up, gets up while it's dark, gives her household their food, giving orders to her servant girls. This Wilma is a shift worker in a steelworks. She gets up early, she goes to work, she's diligent about it. This is a lovely chapter, isn't it? I don't know whether it comes to your profession, but it might, or somebody you know. How about Zena? She's a real estate developer. She sets her mind on a field and then buys it. And with her hands, she plants the vineyard. Maybe she's a horticulturalist, a real estate developer, or a farmer. Hazel. She puts her back into her work and shows how strong her arms can be. She's a landscape labourer or a builder's brickie. She's a vigorous, active, tough girl. Tina. She finds her labour well worthwhile and her lamp doesn't go out at night. What does she do? She's a share trader on the internet and stays up late till the New York market opens and the Hong Kong index comes up. She's busy and has these great professions. In the days of Solomon or Lemuel, about whom this uh, is it, to whom this is accredited, all these professions of that day were just similar to the kind of professions that women can have today. She sets her hands to the dear staff. She's a craft shop owner. She holds out her hand to the poor. This one's a social worker, maybe works for the Salves or she works for the South Australian children, what do you call it, CAFs, Children's Education Services. Snow might come for Linda, but she has no fears for her household because all her children and family are well clothed. Maybe she's a party plan area manager and works diligently with her team. Miriam makes her own quilts. She's dressed in fine linen and purple. She's a quilter and she knows what fat quarters are. They're not the bits around the waist of your, above your belt. They're the fat halves. Her husband is respected at the city gates. This is Nancy. She's the wife of the mayor or the premier. She's called the lady premier or the lady mayoress. Serena weaves linen sheets and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes woman I know makes such a mess of all her home cotton work and sewing she cuts it into strips and gives it to the power salvos and that's not what she means this is a she manages a cotton mill perhaps she's a very vigorous and business-like woman she's clothed in strength and dignity and can laugh at the days to come because she has wisdom and presence these are good things for women to have and good things for men to have wisdom and presence to be right on target with what you are and who you are. And you get this from reading the Bible. 
and reading it from beginning to end, not hooking on the odd verse here and there and saying, the Bible says you've got to wear a hat. It's a much broader scope to be a Christian and to love God and to know him. You can't just take a verse here and there and have one memory verse to your credit. I would love to be able to memorise the whole scripture like some Muslims memorise the whole of the Quran. They put us to shame in that way and um, they intone it in a way that's probably not understandable but I'd like us to be able to say more. Can you say the first chapters of John's Gospel? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word very good. The same was in the beginning with God. With it, and all things were made through him. And without him wasn't anything made that was made. My grandson said, that's kind of confusing. I said, no, it's repetition for the point. Get it in. If what you read in the Bible is repeated, it's consistent... And it matches today, as 99% of it does, then hang on to it. When she opens her mouth, she does so wisely, and her tongue is full of kindly instruction. That's Penny. Perhaps she's a university professor. Maybe she's like my mother. My mother was full of instruction. Clean your room! (laughs) She taught me about time travel. You say that again, I'll knock you in the next week. Her mouth was full of wisdom. She taught me about the future. She taught me prophecy. You wait till your father gets home. Well, I know we all have our moments, but mostly the godly woman's mouth is the same as her husband's, full of grace and charm and warmth. Yours mostly is, dear. My daughter told me the other day she thinks her mother is the sweetest person on the planet except when it comes to her mother and me. She says, my mama is so sweet but she's got a very short concentration span when it comes to putting up with my father. Well, I suppose that's fair enough. Let's read Proverbs 31 together, dear. And I'll try to be a good boy and you can too. I'll be a good girl. Well... We've covered a few things, dodgy convictions, some doubtful conclusions that people make and some direct commands. When you read the scriptures, you will find direct commands all through, like in Proverbs 31, like in Genesis chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments, like in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. My favourite verse of all, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your good works so shine before men they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I hope that's true for you. Will, you. will you make me a promise to read the Bible this year? Even if you do, good on you. Mrs. 365, Miss 365, is that okay? What is it called? There's 365 days in the Bible. It takes Old Testament, New Testament, Proverbs. Yes, short version. Is it an iPhone app or an iPad app? Oh, it's an actual Bible. Oh, free advertisement for um, Kuron. It's time for me to finish. I'd like to make a little offer. Can I make you a little generous offer? What's well, a little generous offer. How many of you are, have a business? How many of you own a business? Hands up. How many of you work in a business? Hands up. Like you sell or you market or you merchandise. 
Well, fine. If you go to this page on my website, I, what? ColinPierce.com forward slash life church. ColinPierce.com forward slash life church. You'll follow the directions and it'll take you to my academy where you can have three months free access to all the wonderful skills, natures and courses that are there to help you build your business in a Christian and biblical way. It's not Christian and biblical, but believe it or not, it actually is. Everything there will help you with understanding people, understanding your work, helping you manage your customers and so on. <sighs> Promise me you'll read the Bible this year? You'll start beginning to end? Could we just have a little all heads bowed, eyes closed, show of hands? We'll just do it without the heads are bowed and eyes are closed. What? Will you make that promise to your pastors and to each other? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll get familiar with the Bible. Come on. Be, be courageous. Thank you, three of you. That's lovely. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, thank you for these beautiful people, this lovely church, these dedicated pastors, and all these good women and men who want to love you and know you in all they do. Let them know that in everything they do, in word or deed, they are doing for the glory of God. Amen. I can ask the worship team to come. Let's all stand together. We're going to finish with a song. And never underestimate the power of the word of God. Never underestimate that. And what a great uh, New Year's resolution. What a great decision to make at the beginning of the year to say, you know what, the Bible's not just going to be something on our shelf, but we're actually going to make a commitment to read its contents. Um, many of you know that I start every day with at least one chapter and finish the day with another chapter of, of the Bible. It's just been doing that for, for a very, very long time. And, you know, if we really believe the Bible is God's Word... Um, then we should read it, as Colin said very early on. And um, one of the things I do is pray just before I start reading the Bible is just say, Lord, would you speak to me today? And many times as I just begin to read the Word, that God drops a Word into my spirit and it can be exactly what I needed to read that week. So what, what, what a great truth to say this year we're going to read through the Scripture. Um, and uh, read through the Word of God. Come on, let's worship together as we bring the service to a close.